I'm Dr. Tanya Raquel. Welcome to Whiteness Interrupted. I believe we have to collectively disrupt and interrupt our whiteness and that it will have consequences. We must choose to have resolved that it is absolutely worth it. We don't have time to wait another day. So let's begin now. Hi, brave souls. I'm Dr. Tanya Raquel and your host on Whiteness Interrupted. I'm thrilled for our guest today, a dear friend and a former colleague who is brilliant, she's fierce, energetic, and someone who puts on the best events that I've ever been to. Her name is Jessica Cherry. Jessica began her career in sport as the assistant men's basketball coach. Yes, I'll say that again. She began her career as the assistant men's basketball coach at York College, City University of New York in Jamaica, New York in 1996. She was promoted to Senior Associate Director of Athletics and served as a Senior Woman Administrator and Deputy Title IX Coordinator. Jessica had oversight of 17 NCAA varsity programs while supervising 22 staff members and part-time coaches. Uh, In 2016, she became the Associate Director of Athletics position at Colby College, where she oversaw management of sports information, strength and conditioning, and equipment services. There, she also was a senior level advisor for facility enhancement, strategic planning, compliance, diversity, equity, inclusion, leadership development, and student athlete well-being. Jessica is currently the Associate Athletic Director at Marymount University in Arlington, Virginia. Jessica, I'm so glad to have you on the pod, excuse me, podcast. Welcome. Uh, how are you doing today, my friend? I am doing awesome, Tanya. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for inviting me. Yes, I'm so excited. Thank you for being a part of this. Um, I'm delighted. Uh, so, Jessica, I want to start our conversation um, about how we met everyone that I'm bringing in. If I have a personal relationship or know them personally or professionally, I want to talk about how we met. So, I vividly remember how we met, and I want to know how what you remember. Um, what I remember is your dad, you and your dad coming through the hallway Uh and my office was like the second office and you just had so much energy coming through that office. (laughs) Um, And I remember, you know, stepping out and seeing who this new person was that we were going to get and just being really excited. And your dad engaged me in conversation. Um, and just asking, you know, were you basically, were you going to be safe and were you, um, who I was and wanted to know what I did? And I said, oh yeah, we got her. No problem. (laughs) So, I mean, that's how I, I remember being introduced to you and then ultimately we met. Yeah, I remember that too. So for listeners, um, I am born and raised in Wisconsin. I did my graduate work in Tennessee and I met Jessica in New York City in Jamaica, Queens at York College. And so my father went with me to go find apartments um, in New York and I decided to take him by the university. And we, I met Jessica for the very first time. And Jessica, you had the same amazing energy um, from day <laughs> one. And I will say uh, you made your college home for me and uh, definitely did a good job of um, making me feel welcome in, in this space. And so, so, yeah, thank you for that. Well, I want to transition into our conversation on whiteness interrupted. But to start, 
I'm wondering if you can share some of the moments, I'm sure there are so many or experiences that stand out for you um, that paved the way for who you are today. Well, I think that um, there, yes, you're right. There have been so many and there was life before your college. Uh, there was a lot of life before your college. Um, I think more, more than like I was a late bloomer in terms of getting into collegiate athletics. But I think my family is really responsible for allowing me to be who I was destined to become um, through their encouragement. And the one thing I think they, they emphasized was that we should know our history because if you know your history, then you can, you're aware of where you're, you could go. Mm -hmm. And as far as my history was concerned, there was, there's nowhere to go, but up. Mm -hmm. So I think, um, I think that, that starts it, but it was about, um, working and um i'm a fourth generation college graduate wow. so that was important we knew i knew you know basically when i was one that i was going to college so that wasn't that wasn't a question in my family i knew that was happening because everybody had gone to college so um but i think different moments i think back to um elementary school, junior high school, high school, college, and the people that influenced me there. But I, I'd really have to say it was, it was my family, my extend, my fam, my immediate family, my extended family that really paved the way. And then there were other people along the way that really helped out. Yeah. Can you say a little more for us, Jessica? You made a statement saying there was the only way was up for, for you. Could you tell us a little bit more what you mean by that? Sure. So um, we weren't, uh, my family was, we had expectations. Mm -hmm. So there was an expectation that we get, um, there was no, there was no hanging out. There was, our expectation was education. Mm -hmm. That was outlined, that was known, and that's what we were doing. Um, it was, you're going to get your degree, you're going you're gonna to graduate from high school, you're going to college, and what you do after that is up to you. Mm -hmm. But we still have, to, it was like, it's up to us, but we still need to approve. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like we had, we had say, but you know, it was like, we need to approve. So um, I remember going to try, going to Skidmore College and decide I was a French major going in because I was awesome. I, even though I played five sports in high school, mm -hmm. what I gravitated to was really math and languages. And so I didn't know how to combine those, but I said, you know what, let me go and major in French. But I just found it, I, I didn't find it exciting. I need to find it stimulating. Mm -hmm. And I remember saying, finally, when I found my niche of athletic training, I told my dad I was going to be an athletic trainer. He was like, what does that mean? <laughs> and he's like, does that mean gym teacher? Uh -huh. <laughs> if that means gym teacher, the answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, rising meant just being your best mm -hmm. with the caveat of 
we have to approve that it's the best that we think you could do. Because they always want more. You want more for your children. You always want more for your children. And that's the way it was. It was like, you can do more. You can be better continuously drilled into our heads. Yeah. When you shared that you originally were going into uh, math and you were interested in language, I remember I, my office at York, I think it was about two doors down. And I can remember you were working on the budget and I felt like overwhelmed. Just, I got the hives just looking at it. I was like, Oh, that's a lot. Um, but it speaks to all of your many, many talents. Um, and so here you are, you're in athletics. Um, in terms, of, I know your parents and your family have influenced you on your journey. Are there others that come to mind for you that have been big influencers for you? Well, I, you know, I would be, yes, my parents definitely have. I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention. So both of my grandfathers were key. So my father's father, or pop-up as I called him, um, had polio. And so he never, ever, ever let his limitations get in the way of his greatness. Mm -hmm. So he worked as, um, he was one of the first motion picture projectionists, African-American projectionists in New York City. And so at that time, you, could, you couldn't just walk up some stairs. There was like a ladder you had to climb through to get through a hole in the ceiling to run the projector. Uh -huh. And he would do that. He would go from Queens to Manhattan every day and do that with his polio and take the train. So, um, and he had a brace and he did that every single day. So he never let that stand in his way. And then my, my mother's father was um, a merchant seaman mm -hmm. and moved his family around a lot before they settled in New York. Um, but... So those, those were key people in, in, my, in my family life, other than my folks, of course. Um, but then, like I said, at Skid, when I was at Skidmore, when I really decided that I wanted to be an athletic trainer, um, my head trainer, Mike Garcia, amazing man. Mm -hmm. Amazing man. He just was like, Jessica, we're, you don't let anything stand in your way. We had... No, at the time I was there, I think maybe when I was, probably when I was a junior, so two years there, we had no African-American uh, student athletes. Right. There were none, zero. And I was the, like the only person in the athletic department. Mm -hmm. The whole department. The entire department. We had 19 sports, but there were no African-American anybody. Unbelievable. Absolutely. Unbelievable. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. And um, so between Mike Garcia, Beverly Becker, God bless her, she was wonderful. And uh, one of my professors, Jeff Seagrave, what, they were phenomenal. And I think junior year was when we had this course, uh, philosophy, it was a sport philosophy course, and we talked about um, the morality of boxing. Mm. And it was a heated class. And this was when I really got to see who my classmates were for the first time. Mm -hmm. You know, when we talked about, are we for or against uh, boxing? And people were saying, you know, we just, you know, we as white people need to go into ghettos and tell black people and Hispanic people that boxing is bad. Wow. They're not bright enough to understand that. Someone said that in class. <laughs> and it, 
sorry. I'm over here shaking my head. Okay. I'm good. Yes. And I had my hand raised the entire time. And, and uh, Professor Seagrave Jeff said, Jessica, I will give you your time. Yeah. Don't worry. You will have your time. And the person just dug deeper and deeper. She kept digging a hole further and further. And my hand, I was losing blood in my hand from just raised. And people just looked at me because I was the only person of color in my class. 30 people, the only one. So yeah, that happened. But he encouraged me to speak up. He knew that I had a voice and he never let me stifle my voice. So um, those, were, those were people early on. And then um, I, worked, uh, I worked for the Parks Department for New York City. Mm-hmm. And I remember getting hired and I really can't remember the gentleman's name, but the gentleman who hired me looked at my resume and said, cause I really needed a job at that point. And he said, <laughs> he's like, Jessica, I'm giving you three years. You are not meant for this job. Mm-hmm. And I'm giving you three years to be awesome. And I want you to continue that for three years, then get out of here and do something better than this. Wow. And I followed his advice and three years later, I left. <laughs> On the dime, huh? I sure did. Yes, I, I really did. And then um, people like, there was um, Lee Jones, who was one of the first black officials in the NBA. He encouraged me to get a job with and recommended me get a job with Cecil Watkins, who worked for Pro-Am, um, putting on basketball tournaments throughout the United States. Um, and it would, so there was like, there was a lot of pivotal people in my life, you know, um, even, you know, Ronald St. John, who, uh, was my boss. Um, and he hired me as his assistant coach. So yeah, there were, there were a lot of people. Yeah. Well, and one of the themes I hear is seeing your value, um, you know, making sure that they created space for your voice, um, raising you up um, along the way. And I see you doing the same. I see you doing the same. Absolutely. Someone did it for me. So it's, it's an obligation that I must do it for other people. Yeah. So can you tell me, so here you are, right? Now you are in collegiate athletics and you're leading. And you're also leading as not only a woman, but as a woman of color, um, can you share with us what's made you successful um, as you've journeyed? Yes. Um, who prob- mostly faith. <laughs> <laughs> mostly faith. Um, and I guess um, a strong a strong sense of who I am. Like I said before, my family, you never, we never could forget that. I am, um, myself and my cousin, Michelle, we are her fa- our family's historians. Mm-hmm. So, and we've traced our family back to mid 1700s, United States. And we never forgot that. So we have a rock that we were built on mm-hmm. as a family. Um, and so, so, I'm sorry, Tanya, what was the question? I was like, what has made you successful as you 
become this powerful leader in college athletics? I'd say um, meeting a lot of different people, reading a lot, mm -hmm. being a, a, a student of the, of, well, in basketball, being a student of the game, but just learning a lot and reaching out to people and never being afraid. I think that's one of the, one of the things that I learned was um, don't be afraid to ask questions. Um, don't shy away from difficult conversations. Yeah. Have those. Um, help people along the way. I think those are, those are the key things. Um, I was able to be part of uh, different organizations and the people in those organizations have been awesome. They really, really help inspire you to be better than you were yesterday. Um, the uh, Minority Opportunity Athletic Administration, MOA, uh, is one of them. Um, NACWA, or now it's called Women Leaders in Sports. Powerful, powerful for women. And then the people that I have met in those organizations never stop inspiring me to, to do better. Never, ever, ever. So um, it's just... One, you know, sometimes you hit a roadblock and you're like, or a speed bump. I don't even call them roadblocks. I think it's just speed bumps. And, you, you know, you bounce it off of somebody and they're like, yes, Jessica, I've been through that. And you, you feel like, okay. So at one point you felt like you were all alone in the world and here you go. And you're not alone because other people are going through the same thing. Mm -hmm. So they've only been, they've only been speed bumps and slight challenges here and there. But I think... I, I think they've helped me, they've helped mold me and shape me. Um, I think I needed those. Yeah. I, I definitely needed those to be a better person. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, there, there are so many, um, so many things that have shaped, especially the challenges. I think those have really shaped me to be better, a better person. Yeah. So I did a little bit of research. <laughs> no surprise there. Um, I did a little bit of research in the NCAA demographics database. Mm -hmm. Had that 4% uh, of Division I associate directors of athletics identify as Black women. Division II also is 4%. And Division III is 2%. Um, and so, you know, if we're thinking about whiteness, white, I firmly believe and know in my heart, whiteness is alive and well in every space of society, especially sport. And as a woman of color um, and your intersectional identities and experiences, what comes to mind when you think about what you needed and what you've come across in navigating the world of sport? It's, oh, what if I need it? I think I needed, um, I needed just an opportunity to express who I am. Mm -hmm. So I was a person who, att I attended PWIs or predominantly white institutions mm -hmm. uh, from elementary school, junior high school, high school, college, grad school in a sense. And, um, and then the places that I 
chosen, except for York College, I think the places that I've chosen, like Colby um, and Marymount, I've chosen to work there um, because there were people, the student athletes needed someone in a leadership position to look towards. They needed to see people that look like them in leadership positions, and they didn't have that. Mm-hmm. And I think I experienced that, and I never wanted, I never wanted another student athlete to feel that, mm-hmm. to feel that we weren't important enough to have those positions. Yeah. Um, that's hard. That's really hard when you're, when you're going from maybe an inner city or wherever you're going to a rural setting and you have nobody to identify with, no one to talk to. Yeah. That's hard for a student. And, and a lot of times the institutions, um, wherever it is, institutions are setting student, students, student athletes up for failure mm-hmm. because they're bringing them there with what? With what? You know, there's a big push now um, to get more students from wherever they are to these small schools. And you're bringing them to these small schools, but what are you doing? Are you providing resources for them? Mm -hmm. In most cases, the answer is no. You're just doing it for the numbers and the money. Yeah. And I I think that's tragic. That's tragic. You get them all the way across country from... It could be from Inglewood, California, to bring them to a small, a small town. Right. And you just leave them. Yeah. And you don't support them. And you don't have anybody that looks like them. What do you expect them to do except go home? Yeah. And in some cases, going home is not an option for people, for students. It's not an option because their parents have said, don't come home until you've graduated. <laughs> <laughs> Mm-hmm. I've heard those stories and I was one of them. Don't come home till you've graduated. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, and Jessica, you have me thinking, right? You were um, in athletics, a men's assistant basketball coach, and I was at York and teaching um, sports psych and other courses in the physical education department. But I also think about, so like sport, that's, that's one element, but the student athletes are also going for an education. And I'm just speaking from my experience from 2005 to just last May, um, being a professor. And then so also students of color in particular going not only from athletics, but then also into classrooms where who many of the professors are identify as white or white male or white women. Um, and then not having that space academically, not having that space athletically, not, you know, in their, their lived experiences. And um, what you said really resonated is having people who look like them. I, I think often I can't give what I don't have. Right. And I do not have the experience of living in a black or brown skin body. And that matters. Yes. Because I might care. I don't have the experience. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's, it's hard, but even I remember when I first started at York, even though I'm from the area, Mm -hmm. I was not of the area. Mm. Every experience I had was outside the area. And I remember student athletes saying I would correct their English. 
I would correct their English all the time and said, Coach Terry, let us speak the way we want to speak. And I was like, <laughs> no, no, because you're going, you're rep you represent me. When you go out on that interview, you're representing who I am. And did I teach you that? No. So I want you, I, you know, taught them which fork to use, all of those things, because mm -hmm. I wanted them to go out and be proud of who they are and where they came from. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not, you're not cavemen to eat with your hands. You just, you, this is how you're going to do it. Uh -huh. So um, I, I remember those things. Yeah. But they could identify um, with me. I mean, it was hard enough being a woman coaching men's basketball. Right. People, my own peers said, well, um, how did you get this job? Who did you sleep with to get the job? Wow. Right. What? Why can't I just be talented? Why can't I be great? Why can't I just be that? Mm -hmm. um, so it was, it was doubly hard. Yeah. Being black, being a woman, all of those things. Mm -hmm. um, even, you know, going to a small, a small town in Maine, having someone say to me, um, well, you know what that's like. You're from the ghetto. What? What? <laughs> Wait a minute. What, is that? what does that have to do? I was like, okay, you know what? <laughs> what do we, what do we need to do? What are we going to accomplish here? Right. You know, and never shy, never, you always having to look at the big picture, but you always had to always protect yourself. Mm -hmm. That was, that was, that's always been a challenge, having to protect yourself, having to protect the kids around you, having to just never to quiet your voice. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, those are hard. Mm -hmm. You, you made me think about, which I haven't in a long time, you were saying this rural town in, in um, Maine, but I was thinking about when you and I and another colleague or friend went to the Poconos and I being the only white woman. I don't know if you recall this. No, we didn't, we didn't go to the Poconos. We went to oh. Saratoga. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you're right. Okay. Yeah. That is right. That was the Poconos. We led a team building event. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, and we, it was the evening and we were out for dinner and a drink and a white individual man came up to me and asked me if I had been kidnapped. Do you recall that? I do. And I remember just be, being so taken aback, like kidnapped, here, here we are. Having, having a ball. A ball, a splendid time laughing. Mm -hmm. And the look on his face that I looked at him like, absolutely not. Um, you know, it makes me think of the, the biases, the stereotypes, prejudices that, that, we, that we're walking around um, this earth with and making assumptions about people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I recall, yes, I do recall that. And I mean, these, these biases have been around so long, mm -hmm. you know, it's just the fight has been so long and so painful from, you know, from being called the N word in sixth grade. Mm -hmm. That was my start. And then going to college you know, this is before cell phones and video chat and all of that and FaceTime. And um, I remember I was so excited about being and going to college and being away from home. And I get there and my roommate said she did not like black people. Ooh. 
basically, wait, what? You are a person of color. Mm. You're a person of color. She's like, no, I'm not. I was like, you're an Asian American. Mm. She's like, no, I'm white. Wow. Yeah. And she said, well, my father says that black people are dirty. She had all these stereotypes about black people when she was actually the one in the room that was the dirty one. But <laughs> another point, another time. Yeah. That's, that's a total other issue. But, but you know what I'm saying? Like those were, you know, at some point you're like, what did I do? Yeah. I didn't do anything except, except exist. Mm-hmm. And that is so hard for me to, to wrap my head around is that we can't do anything. We, all we do is exist. And that's a problem. Yeah. Our existence seems to be a problem to everyone. And I don't understand why, mm-hmm. you know, I don't understand what we did um, to get all of this grief mm-hmm. and questions about, our talents, you know, it made me think about, um, it brought me back to January of 1988. Okay. Uh, when Jimmy the Greek Snyder mm-hmm. said, was interviewed and was talking about um, um, that black people were bred to be great in sport. Mm. He's a sportscaster. Mm-hmm. He said that out loud. <laughs> and I mean, I think he was subsequently fired, but he, he said he didn't mean to say bread. He said he used the wrong word, but that's what he meant. Yeah. Yeah. He said what he meant and he meant what he said. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, but where, do, where are we supposed to go? We're not going anywhere. Yep. I'm an American. Yeah. You know, my relatives fought for this country. My relatives marched for this country. Mm-hmm. What did we do besides, how did we interrupt your life? Yeah, the anti-blackness just being um, so deep so right. uh, within, within individuals, within our society, um, every, everywhere, whether it be medicine, whether it be sport, whether it be education, yeah, law, government. Right. It's in, it's in every, like we, their expectations are, we're not supposed to be great. Mm-hmm. What are, what are, you know, we had a black president, but he wasn't supposed to be great. Well, he got elected. Right. He got elected. Yes. You know, he didn't cheat his way in. He got elected. So without we, any scandals through his two terms. Not any scandals with a beautiful family, <laughs> no divorce, none of that. <laughs> but what what is it about us that makes people so afraid? Mm-hmm. And I I'm curious. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to be there to answer questions, and I think that's why I put myself in in different situations and going to predominantly white institutions so I can answer those questions. Yeah, because I know that students of color are coming. They're not getting rid of them. They are coming because they want their education and they're going to these spaces and want to be heard. Mm-hmm. And coaches need to understand what's happening 
And sometimes coaches don't. And I've had, and I'm, I'm grateful to the coaches that have said, um, Jessica, can you speak to me about how to um, approach a student athlete? Can you speak to me about what I need to do to make someone feel welcome? So basic. I, I'm sorry? I said so basic. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, okay, yeah, well, I'm glad at least they asked the question. Right. So because those, those spaces are hard. Um, I did approach a coach and say, have you had a discussion with your team about what to do if they are stopped by the police? And he's like, no. Why should I have that conversation? I said, because that's an important conversation when you're in a big, in a city. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, the student may, he may not know what to do. Absolutely. And so he rethought. And so we're getting together and we're going to talk about all those things and um, just how to make them more comfortable. And it seems like you said, it's such a basic thing that people don't think about. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think I have so many thoughts that are streaming through my brain. I think, first of all, for what identifying people, um, you know, I think we have to get uncomfortable. And we've been comfortable for far too long. That's one thought that I'm thinking about. And even this conversation, but I'm more so I'm thinking, um, you know, as a, as a woman of color and so many white people coming to you, asking you um, how to approach situations. And I see that as you constantly giving of your emotional labor, of your time, of your energy. Um, what responsibility do you feel that some of us living in white skin that, you know, we need to read a book. We need to watch a documentary. Um, like where do you have, like some people, um, may say that that is not the responsibility of a woman of color and other people say like only if it's, you know, or a person of color, if it's their choice. And I'm just kind of wondering if there's times where that ever feels burdensome for you and you're, and you just feel like exhausted by it. No, never. I don't feel, I feel like it's an obligation. Mm-hmm. Um, I, they're my kids. Yeah. I don't have any of my own, but they're mine. Mm-hmm. And I feel, I feel an obligation to them. I hurt when they hurt. Yeah. Especially if they've come across, if they've been anywhere near me, I hurt when they hurt. Mm-hmm. So I need, I want people to get it. Yeah. I want people to understand, no, I'm not exhausted. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm just getting started. I love, I love you. <laughs> I know you're just getting started. I am, I'm just getting started. Mm-hmm. Um, we need, they need a voice. Mm-hmm. And the kids, the kids need a voice. They need to know that someone cares and someone is looking out for them. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, I didn't have that. I didn't have that going to these institutions. I didn't. And I want to make sure that I give, I give back to that. Mm-hmm. So if, a, if, tell me if this is accurate. So if a white identifying coach comes to you, that is, that's a way for you to say like, I, I'm help educating and I'm making a better space for the student athletes of yeah. color in particular. I'd also say that a white identifying student athletes and people, right? Like they need, they need, a, they need models to recognize that I, I think of my own sons who are multiracial, mm-hmm. um, but I think of myself as a kid. I don't remember 
I don't remember until I was in graduate school seeing a person of color in a leadership position. And I, and I look back and I'm like that, you know, not, not grade school, not middle school, not high school, not undergrad. Mm -hmm. And then going to the university of Tennessee, that's my first experience seeing um, coaches of color um, to seeing, and I didn't have, um, I had one faculty of color and it's just so important for white identifying um, individuals as well. Right. Right. Um, I think, you know, depending on the time you grew up, there's a lot and where you grew up also, but um, even myself going to, going to a small school, there was only, when I started, it was only, I went to one school from third to 12th grade. And we had, when I started, I think there were two um, African-American teachers and uh, well, three, three teachers of color. Um, And then they left two, well, two out of three left. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And at that point, who did we identify with? Yeah. Besides the other people in our class. So graduating from high school, there was only five, five of us who were five students of color in my class out of 51. Yeah. Um, so that was the space I was used to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then going to, going to a, a school like Skidmore, where it was only 3%, you know, at that time it was 3% minority, and that included everybody. <laughs> okay. That was everybody. That was all people of color. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, but, um, yeah. So how do you, I mean, I know you are, but how do you see yourself and feel leaders like yourself are and can continue to reimagine sport, um, to be better for student athletes, but in particular black and brown student athletes? Well, I think first we, when we recruit them, we have to make sure that the space they're, they're coming to is a safe space. Mm-hmm. And we have to provide resources. We have to talk to other people on others. We have to communicate with people on other sides of campus to make sure this is a safe space mm-hmm. and that they're going to be, that the students that are coming, be it from Oklahoma, wherever they're coming from, of uh, Montana, that they're going to be uh, supported. And then we're not just going to dump them somewhere and leave them stranded to their own devices. No, we have to be there for them. Mm -hmm. I think that um, we need to not minimize their voices. Yes. That what they say has meaning. Mm -hmm. And we need to understand that we need to listen, be active listeners in their lives. Those are, I think for me, those are key things that we need to do right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, acknowledge who they are. Right. Don't, shy, don't say, well, um, say, I understand. Or I don't understand, but help me understand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think those are, those are things that we need to do from the beginning. Mm-hmm. But providing, providing resources for the student athlete and, and hiring um, people of color to the institution mm-hmm. is very critical. Um, I, I, changing hiring practices. I remember being in one institution and they said, 
well, we just, we don't know where to find people of color to come work here. Hmm. What? I'm here. Yeah, like, uh, yeah. I'm around, like, you didn't, did you not see who I was? <laughs> yeah. I'm here. Yeah. Reach out. There are, there are places. Hello. Mm-hmm. You know, there are places um, to find black people to work. <laughs> yeah. Well, people color need jobs. Like, right. <laughs> Trying to work too. Yeah, I think about too, um, you know, ones black indigenous persons of color are at an institution or organization working, then what supports for not only the student athletes, but also for the administrators, for the coaches, what type of supports are there for them? What are some of the, you know, I want to say like the, the institutional policies that are outdated that are not supportive of all people and um, looking at that as well, because and you can speak to this better than I, but the retention of black indigenous persons of color and all marginalized individuals um, is something that institutions, you know, don't have a great track record of. Correct. Correct. Because, because they don't support them when they come in. Yeah. And I, that's, that's what I have seen in, in my travels and just speaking to other uh, administrators and um, mm-hmm. not just sport administrators, but administrators um, college administrators. Mm-hmm. So, um, you yeah. know, I also think that, I know this is another kind of another subject, but, um, I think about people that come to these institutions and they shorten their name mm, yes. because you can't, they can't say their name. Right. Because right. their name is so, well, what else can I call you? Because I can't remember that. Well, you can remember Jessica. So, right. You're going to like, I have a friend, her name is Annually, but she has more to her name. I, I would mess it up every single time. Mm-hmm. But sometimes she says, just call me Lee. Right. No, yeah. don't just call her Lee. Say her name. Mm-hmm. No, her name matters. Absolutely. And so every name matters, no matter what color it is. <laughs> Everybody matters. And so um, I just think, I think we're just doing a disservice to people when we don't, we don't speak their truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When we create spaces too, where only parts of a person can show up, right. And, and, you know, compartmentalize their humanity. And that's such a disservice that right. we collectively do, right. you know, you had me, you had me thinking of um, my times teaching, um, you know, two of the institutions I've worked at have been um, served the global majority black and brown students. Um, and then the others have been more PWIs. But one of the things that I, I made lots of missteps, um, but one of the things I certainly learned is I would often say, I didn't have your experience, but I want to learn about it. Um, and when I moved to New York City and was at York College, as you can imagine, right, my, my father in his living days uh, drove his tractor to cut grass and city limits. So <laughs> there were a lot of things um, while at York, but it really just having these conversations about our, about our human experience and being open with humility and being able to get it wrong. I think that's one of the things that I, I've certainly taken away working with diverse student athletes. Right. And I, I think that we need to embrace all of the diversity 
everywhere, no matter what it is. Um, I remember going to being in Tennessee and never being, I've never been on a pig farm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And my friend Kathy's, Kathy's father, one of my classmates owned a pig farm and she invited me to her house. And I was just, first of all, she invited me. So that was, that was an honor itself in itself. But then to be part of this whole, to see the farm and see how she grew up yeah, was great for me. Yeah. You know, I don't profess to be the only person in the world. Mm-hmm. I realized that I want to learn about everybody. I want to learn about everyone's experiences. I think that's what shapes us as a country is that we've all had different experiences. Mm-hmm. And um, I love that. Mm-hmm. I, I love that. I want to be able to see and go and experience and, um, and learn. Absolutely. That is what we need to do is we need to learn. Mm-hmm. Well, oh, and, better people. Yeah. And in that learning, um, we learn more about ourselves too throughout the process. Right. And, and uh, resiliency. Yes. Yeah. All of the things, all of yes. the things. Mm-hmm. So one last more formal question. Sure. What are, so this is, you know, the podcast interrupting whiteness. Uh, what are some of the reasons that you find it important that we collectively, um, no matter how we racially identify, uh, continue to interrupt whiteness? Yeah, I've, I, that is such a great question. Um, I think we have to do that because we need to realize that the status quo is no longer the status quo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We, we, we've grown so much. We've, we've, we've grown and we've gone back. You know, we, we move 10 steps and we go back a hundred. Yeah. But now we have an opportunity to, for people to understand that we're not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. This is who we are and see us for who we are. Yeah. Let us, let us teach you. You know, we've been learning, we've been learning from you for years and years and years. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> Your time to learn, learn. Yeah. And look at us, look at us for who we are. See us for who we actually are instead of who you think we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Thank you for that. I see you as such a beautiful human and I'm smiling ear to ear. I'm thinking about our times in New York City eating sushi on Thursday evening. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, I, yeah. I, I think about our time at that uh car- was it karaoke or um Oh yeah. New York City. Yeah. 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 Well, and I also want to thank you for, for being on the podcast and allowing me to always show up in my hu- full humanity um, in your presence. But I'd like to end with some quick questions. There will be no interruptions. Um, and they're fun and hopefully hopefully a little bit light. Are you ready? I think so. Okay. Jessica, what keeps you up at night? Uh, I have to be honest. What keeps me up at night is my, the safety of my nephew. Mm. Um, I have one nephew, you know him well, he calls you lasagna. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, 
he is 17. He's, he's going to be 17 tomorrow. Okay. And he, keep, he keeps me up knowing that he's going to be safe every day going to school in New York City. Yeah. Yeah. That's what keeps me up in my, my godchildren, their, their development. That keeps me up, you know, just making sure that they're safe. Mm -hmm. That's what keeps me up. Jessica, what brings you joy? <laughs> oh, that's easy. <laughs> uh, my family brings me joy. Yeah. Um, knowing that, um, that I've made them proud mm -hmm. uh, is, brings me joy. And seeing them and um, seeing my folks in their 80s thriving and being vocal and having, living their best lives and just having a whole lot of fun, that brings me joy. Awesome. On your last day of your earthly life and you meet your maker of the universe, if you believe there is one, what are you toiling for her to say to you? Well, I'd like her to say to me, well done, Jessica. <laughs> well done. You did it. Yeah. You did it. Mm. Thank you. Yeah, that's it. Well done. Well done. Okay. Last but not least, how do you sustain your soul in your life and your work? Um, prayer. Mm. Lots and lots of prayer. Um, I have my, I have, again, I have my relatives to thank for that, but my uncle, my, my uncle, <laughs> who's an engineer, always says to me, pray always. He sends me a card almost every week. Mm. And he always ends it, um, pray always. Mm. And he's, he's been doing that my entire life, sending me a card every week. That's amazing. Yes. I feel like I, I, I'm uh, not doing so well on the aunt game over here. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. But he does, even if you make a phone call, but he calls and he sends cards and everything. He always sends a card and he always ends it, pray always. Mm. And I take that to heart. So yes, pray always. And um, I have good friends that help me through my friend, my best friend, Joy. Mm -hmm. She is phenomenal. She's a phenomenal mother, wife, daughter, and a, the best, best friend anybody could ever ask for. Um, she's always there to help me navigate life, you know, and ask questions and, and help me and she tells me the truth mm. that's what that's you know you need that you need people in your life and my friend Roderick he does the same thing and um they tell me the truth yeah when especially when I don't want to hear it mm. yes and I don't when I'm wrong I want somebody to tell me I'm wrong and those are the two people that do that for me <laughs> yes awesome is there anything else I just, yes, there's so much more, but I thank you because we don't speak all the time, mm -hmm. but you always have always, especially when you were at York, you've always ignited a fire under <laughs> me, whether it was working out or, <laughs> or just having these, these, intellectual conversations that I needed to stimulate my brain. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this is a beautiful thing that you're doing. Mm -hmm. And I want you to know that this is beautiful. 
and um, you're 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 awesome in your quest. I am um, I am questing for sure. Um, I have a responsibility, and um, I thank you for saying that. But um, it's my honor and my and my responsibility. And I love you. I'm going to be praying for you always. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so honored and glad to have had you on Whiteness Interrupted podcast. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Talk to you again soon. Okay, absolutely. Brave souls. Jessica Cherry shared with us her experience and perspective as a black woman who's made a career in sport as a former athletic trainer, as a collegiate men's assistant basketball coach, a senior women's administrator, an associate director of athletics who leads in diversity, equity, and belonging work while navigating the intersections of sex and race. She shared so much of herself with joy, living in her truth. May we continue to recognize our toil for equity is not over. Might we own and take our responsibilities in dismantling harm. Close your eyes. Notice in your body where you might feel tight. Your forehead, your jaw, your shoulders. Maybe you have sweaty palms or your chest feels tight. Open your heart. Take a deep breath in and exhale through your mouth. There's so much for us to do. And yet it's so important. We continue to find moments, time, spaces for joy, restoration. So we can stay committed to our responsibilities in fighting for equity. We continue to learn and we also continue to do the work. You are who you're meant to be. There's no shame in your privilege or power. It is how we use our privilege and power that matters. Take one more deep breath in and exhale through your mouth. And I can't wait for you to join us next time.